0: Show, Poncho, with Stephen Colbert.
2: My next guest is a musical icon who has sold over 300 million records, has five Grammys, and is both the Rock and Roll and Songwriters Hall of Fame. Please welcome Elton John.
3: This is for you. I know. This is for you.
2: Elton John, thank you, thank you so much for being here. I, this is going to be slightly difficult for me because I'm going to geek out at you extremely hard. When I was in third grade, I had a band called Nebula Five. There were only three of us in it. I was the lead man, Gray Mott singer on drums, Tommy Whittle, who went by Tommy London in third grade on piano. We did all Elton John songs. I was an Elton John in eighth grade. At, at eight years old, I was an Elton John wow. tribute performer. Thank you yeah. very much. Yeah. Well, it's uh, you, uh, you got the new box set here. It's called Elton John Diamonds, okay? It's got everything. It's the, the, it's
3: the very possible. last of the uh, greatest hits packages you'll ever see. And, it's, uh, it's
2: the greatest of the greatest yeah, hits packages. Yeah, it's got everything on
3: there, and uh, it's, I came up with the title Diamonds because, you know, I like diamonds. Well, there it is, You're Elton John. You get to name it. Now,
2: you got, uh, uh, you got uh, the Diamonds out. You're on tour. You're still performing in Vegas. Uh, you work with the Elton John AIDS Foundations. You're raising two sons. What is it like for a pop star now to have two young sons? Is it cut it's into your tra-
3: school at all? It, no, it's just changed the whole landscape of our lives. Um, I never thought I would be a dad, and it came to pass, and my children will be seven and five very quick, soon. Um, and it's just the best thing that's ever happened to me. Uh, other then, you know, I've had so many great things. I've been so blessed during my life. I had a great career. I got sober. I met my husband, um, and the career's still going, but the greatest thing that ever happened was having the children because it takes the focus away from me. Now, Diamond specifically said is
2: celebrating your 50th anniversary of songwriting partnership with Bernie Taupin. How did you guys meet?
3: God, it's funny. I I was in a terrible band. Not a terrible band, but a mediocre band, and I was getting... (laughs) fed up with playing to people eating fish and chips and in a cabaret thing. And so I thought, what can I do? And I saw an advertisement from a record company that said, singers and songwriters wanted. Uh, And I'd written a couple of songs for the uh, band and we recorded them. Uh, And I answered the advert. And when I look back now, I was kind of chubby. I was very shy. I wasn't the lead singer. I was just the piano player in the band. But I was so fed up. And I went to the office in London. It was Liberty Records. I went in there and it was hundreds of reel-to-reel tapes. There were no cassettes in those days. This is going back into sepia. This is in the late 60s. (laughs) Um, And there were piles of envelopes. And the guy behind the desk said, what do you do? I said, well, I can sing and I can write songs, but I can't write lyrics. I'm hopeless. So he said, well, why don't you just take this envelope? And he went through a pile of envelopes. It could have been any envelope. Talk about kismet. He gave me an envelope which was sealed. I took it back on the, the tube train or the subway... Uh, and I opened it and I read it, and it was burning. I could have been any envelope. I mean, it was just that was the envelope he gave me. Did any of those songs, any of those poems become. Absolutely songs? not. No. <laughs> they, were, they were very nice. I, I found them lovely, and they was the 60s. They were very esoteric and very flower powery and very sweet. But I, I, I wrote melodies to the songs, and I liked them. And subsequently, we got a, um, a songwriting contract with Dick James, who published The Beatles. Um, and it was a long time before we made it but that, the three years that we were struggling was um, but when you was made great it background. boy did you make
2: it because if I'm not mistaken so uh, excuse me your first album
3: was the first album was Empty Sky but the first breakthrough album was Elton John with your song on it so okay that was 1970 1970 then there was Don't Shoot Me I'm Only the Piano Player no there was Tumbleweed Madman Honky Chateau Don't Shoot Me Goodbye Elric Road Captain Fantastic Caribou Rock of the West is. there you go wow
2: Oh, like in, like, how, those are, how many uh, al- In
3: about five years.
2: Five years. And
3: separate singles as well. If we did Philadelphia Freedom, Pimble Wizard, Lucy and the Sky with Diamonds.
2: And uh, uh, if I'm not mistaken, again, correct me, it's your life, but I understand that um, Goodbye to Yellowbrick Road was the first album ever to go platinum before it was ever released. It was just one I platinum. I have no idea pre-orders.
3: about that. Yeah, that that's, well, that's my understanding. Well, I know that Captain Vantali was the first album to come in at number one, but I had no idea about Yellowbrick Road. But, it's you know pretty what? good. We pretty were good so busy and we. So- we, we <laughs> We loved what we were doing so much that we didn't really pause for thought. We just we are having so much fun. And when you have that adrenaline and when you have that impetus and you're successful, um, we were like kids in candy stores. So we just love what we were doing. And that helps.
2: Well, uh, the, 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 the new collection of collections here is Diamonds. It's got stuff like, you can tell everybody this was your song. Hold me close, the time to dance. Oh Rocket God. man, Good. honky cat. I remember when Rock was young Daniel, my brother Saturday, Saturday <laughs> Goodbye to Yellow Brick Road Seems to me you lived your life with the and the Jets Fill for your freedom Island girl Someone saved my life tonight. Don't go breaking my heart Sorry seems to be the hardest word Little Genie, Diamonds, Elton John Up next,
0: Brandy Carlisle
2: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to A Late Show. My next guest tonight is a six-time Grammy Award-winning singer and songwriter. Now she's written a memoir called Broken Horses. Please welcome Brandy Carlisle. Hi, Brandy. Hi, how are you? I'm doing fine. I'm really happy to see you.
1: It's really good to be with you.
2: Now, um, you won your sixth uh, Grammy this year. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Um... The uh, at the in the actual award ceremony itself, you also sang uh, uh, one of John Prine's songs in memory yeah. of him. And when after John died, uh, you played um, uh, the next day on our show um, "Hello" in there, which is a song mm-hmm. I don't know how anybody can get through, let alone the day after a man like John just died. So hats off to you. And the last time you were on this show. Um, live and in person, you were playing with John Prine and Sturgill Simpson. I associate you with John Prine. What what was it like no. being friends with him?
1: Man, being friends with John Prine was like being friends with, like, a prophet who makes you laugh, you know, as well as sort of foretelling the, the human future. He was really special, really special, really fun and really humble man, but brilliant.
2: Um, well you you've written so many beautiful songs of your own and now you've written uh, i'll say your first memoir because you're still so young but your first memoir right here and it's called broken horses um how is writing a book different than writing a song other than the fact that it, it doesn't have to rhyme what what's the challenge here for you
1: Well, when I started writing it, I didn't know if it was a book or a song or just an essay or, or, but it just kept coming and it just didn't stop. And I started realizing, well, this isn't three and a half minutes. This is, this is something else. And it was a stream of consciousness. So I guess it felt easy or it felt like it was coming from a muse somewhere, Mm -hmm. but um, it was hard after it was over to stand behind it because it's, it's really hard not to have all that. Metaphor to wrap yourself up in and, and hide behind and I'm still dealing with that right this second <laughs>
2: <laughs> Well, what what made you want to write it now? What what was the motivation for a memoir as again as such a young person?
1: Well, I've never really sat down to write a song and I guess I didn't really sit down to write uh, a book but I wanted to write um, my experience with my faith journey and faith trauma as a queer person and 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 the way that that played itself out and as, a, as a teenager with my my baptism story. So I started out writing my baptism story, and um, and I realized I just wanted to keep going.
2: Well, tell me about that baptism story, because I'm fascinated by it, and also the way you held on to your own faith in, in the light of it. Would you mind telling that story to the audience?
1: Yeah, absolutely. When, when I was a kid, um, I was involved in, like, a Baptist church, and... Um, my dad's words not mine my dad used to always say baptister mean baptister mean he didn't want me to be involved in it because i think he knew that you know that the rug might get pulled out from under me and but i really loved it and um i decided to get baptized and i went up to the front of the church and i declared that i was ready for this to happen and it's like baptists are kind of big on public accountability so Um, we scheduled my baptism and I went to all these classes and I you know I I was really young I don't even remember probably 16 something like that and the day of my baptism the town was there my parents were there and the pastor pulled me aside and um, told me right before it was about to happen that he wasn't going to do it because because I'm gay and um, it was just one of these things where I don't know if it was supposed to be a shock or if he thought that somebody's gonna something was going to be denounced or that there was going to be some kind of repentance moment or whatever but it just turned into this movie of me like running out of the church in front of everybody that I loved and being really humiliated um but I don't think I ever really felt accepted by any of those people until that moment so really beautiful things came from that trauma and I've been able to sort of hold onto and maintain my faith in spite of and maybe because of that day.
2: When you say maybe because of that day, what is it about that moment or that reaction from your community that, that led you closer to, for lack of a better word, the Lord?
1: Well I think like, a lot of queer people have a lot of big, deep spiritual trauma, but they also have these really intense... Understandings of spirituality maybe more than other people who haven't been traumatized by it because it's like doubt leads to faith in a way that you know questions lead to answers but like your faith can get really intimate and um, really beautiful when you quite literally cut out the middleman when you're when you're rejected by a church or by clergy there's no one between you and the you know and the unseen
2: um, one of the things that I um... I'm jealous of a, a, a lot of musicians uh, because of their talent and the magic they can do, but also like your friendship with John Prine. I'm also a little jealous of your friendship with Joni Mitchell. Um, that is another spiritual leader right there. And, I don't
1: blame you. Oh yeah.
2: Oh my God! This is this. We have a photo here of the first, of the night that you met Joni Mitchell for the first time. And that expression, that expression on your face right there, I have. Call that zero I'm, get, I'm getting a contact, a contact high right there, just looking at that photo. And then here's another amazing photo. This is you. Where is this? This is you backstage with Joni Mitchell. Where? Where is this?
1: Oh, that was the night i I did the whole blue concert. I covered the entire blue album beginning to end.
2: This blows me away in terms of an act of just raw courage, which is the people at home who don't know. Johnny Mitchell has the an extraordinary album called Blue, and you performed the entire thing one night in Los Angeles, right
1: yeah yeah
2: and and it was and it was a full house, and you and other musicians on stage performing for her you performed one of her greatest albums to the master herself where did you find the courage to do it
1: buddy i don't know i had to get hypnotized to do it and i mean i'll tell you what i I was so terrified and i but i lost it all i walked out on stage and i i went i am on a lonely road and i am traveling 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 and i look up and i just see the whites of Joni's teeth and she's sitting next to and holding hands with Elton John. And I was like, this is what's happened to me in my life. This is where it's come to. And I just, all the honor just took over the nerves and it became like the greatest, my greatest, I think, musical moment. Coming up, Tegan and Sarah.
2: My next guests tonight are songwriters and musicians who have sold over one million albums. Now they've written a memoir called High School. Please welcome Tegan and Sarah. Um, well, you guys have been songwriters for, oh, well, how long? 15, 20 years?
0: Hundreds and hundreds, hundreds of and years. Hundreds
2: <laughs> and hundreds of years. Yeah. Okay, so about two decades, something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Uh, now you have written uh, your first, first book? Yes. First book.
0: That was published.
2: It's co- that was published. <laughs> it's called High School, and I like it. It's got a. It's got this basically high school bathroom quality mirror <laughs> on the front. Yes. And um, why'd you why write this? Because you just wanted to relive those happy years.
0: <laughs> so Tegan and I are twin sisters. We grew up in the 1990s. Uh-huh. We started our band in the 1990s, and. We wanted to write our origin story. And our origin story, yes, please, go ahead. Yep.
2: <laughs> yeah. Nirvana. it's real it's oh, real oh i believe i believe yeah. it no i i How think boring. i went to school with these girls yeah <laughs> that
0: is. we got a little you know they don't it's sort of like your passport photo like they don't really want you to smile in canada so they're just like look serious for once but oh
2: really a okay. little bit that's yeah. a I know lie that. That no it was yeah. a choice
0: right. but yeah we wanted to write our origin story because that those years actually this year specifically that's grade 10 and we're 15 oh. and we started writing our first songs at 15 so we wanted to write that story and then, you know, it wasn't just a music memoir. It really started to be about our identity as twin sisters and as songwriters, as creative people. And also, hold on, we're queer as well. So we cover that as well. It's like, it's all of those things. It's a lot to cover in a book. Sarah just came out, you guys. Sarah just came out. It's, uh, um, you're very brave. I finally said it. Um,
2: as twins, yeah. um, uh, you know, people who aren't twins like me have these ideas in their head that twins kind of have a special twin language and things like that. Did you come out to each other first or did you tell other members of your family or friends and only sort of wonder what was going on with the other sister?
0: Um, you know, that was part of the reason why we wanted to write the book because for 20 years we've been telling the story and I feel like people don't believe us, but we didn't ever tell each other. Sarah carried on these relationships behind closed doors. I, I obviously was suspicious because i was always like sarah and i we shared a best friend and when sarah started sleeping with said best friend i was no longer invited to the sleepover so i was very like (laughs) what's happening behind this closed door right now and i was like get a life yeah you know it was tough so we Who uh,
2: who was actually born first i was so you're the older sister
0: yeah but more immature you know she found her identity later in high school yeah, Sarah was more advanced. She, she's trying to be a jerk, but it's actually true. She was more advanced.
2: She's succeeding. Actually, yeah, she's succeeding. Very,
0: yeah. But she, she was very advanced, and she, I, I felt very left out. And we really want to tell that part of the story. I think when you hear queer stories, they're always really like positive. And then when you hear people meet us, they just are like, oh, it must have been so great for you guys. You must have been best friends and confided to each other. And I. I'm always like, now we hated each other. We used to beat the crap out of each other all the time, and we never talked to each other. I only found out Sarah was gay when we wrote the book. That's not true. That's not true. <laughs> That's...
2: Check the index. This is like a bit because we oh, lie a lot in the on book. That one, <laughs> yeah, sure it's that's true. true. What kind of songs were you writing in high school? So what were those? For, you said you were in the, the these girls right here. Yeah. No, uh-huh. they didn't they didn't, you know, they didn't talk to each other and they beat up on each other but right there but but they're writing songs together. What kind of what were the songs like?
0: I think in a way, you know, we we talked about ourselves to each other in music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would write a song and I think it gave Tegan an idea of where I was at mentally, emotionally. Um, we just made an album of songs that we wrote when we were 15, 16, and 17. Is that
2: what this is? That's what
0: that is. That's, like, uh, all songs we wrote in the 1990s.
2: Hey, I'm Just Like You. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And there's songs like Don't Believe the Things They Tell You, They Lie. Or, like, We Don't Have Fun When We're Together Anymore. I mean, you know, things that young people can say that adults would never say to each other.
2: Oh, I know know those feelings. I know those feelings. (laughs) Yeah, I
0: think you'll like the record. You might, you know...
2: (laughs) Did this... Any of the stories in here surprise your parents? Were they shocked by any of the stories in here?
0: Okay, we did a lot of LSD. <laughs> I feel like you're I feel like I'm coming out to you in so many ways right now. Like we sure. I want you to like us and I want you to think of us as like responsible people. So full disclosure, we don't do LSD anymore, but we we did experiment with drugs and alcohol and my parents like, loosely knew that. We would, say jo- we would say jokingly, like, I took acid in high school, but my mom was very disturbed by how much we did it.
2: How much are we talking here? And at any point, did you think you were a bee and tried to force yourself through a keyhole? <laughs> no. Because that's what I was told in high school. Really? Yeah, I never did acid, but they said if you did acid, my teacher, Mr. Paff, said if you did acid, you're going to think you're a bee and try to force yourself through a keyhole, and you'll have uh, head-turning scars the rest of your life. <laughs> Okay. What your, for what you do to your face is you try to force yourself through a keyhole. I would have
0: been like, "That sounds rad." Yeah. What we were told was that it will, it will, the LSD will build up in your spine, and then you, you, you could... can't be an airplane pilot. <laughs> what? That was, my that was not what I was going to say. That is, that's what I was told. Pilot? Like I was, like somebody okay. saw that picture of that kid and was like, "Ma'am, you cannot be an airplane pilot if you take LSD." <laughs> You two got off easy. You got told you were going to become a B. You, told, you got told you weren't going to be a pilot. I got told that it would build up in my spine and I would ha- get, like, flashbacks uh, Flashbacks and yeah. maybe, like, lose my mind. Like, actually, and then I think wow. our mom told us we might, you know, if we ever tried LSD, we would jump through plate glass. That didn't stop us. I don't know. We sure. did it, like, 50 times. Can, can I say one thing say for my mom? Sure, sure. Say something
2: for mom. Oh,
0: God. Mom oh, my God. asked us to publicly talk about the fact that we did experiment with drugs, And it brought us closer together. We had a difficult relationship. We had fun when we were on drugs. And we replaced that bad... That's such a narc. We we replaced (laughs) that bad habit with music. We did. We we learned to love each other and have fun together playing music. And we stopped doing LSD. Okay.
2: Okay. Okay. So your message is, kids, don't do LSD or drugs forever.
0: Forever. Forever. (laughs) Don't do it. For like a year. For like a year. Don't do it.
2: Thank you for listening to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert. Just one more thing. If you want to see more of me, come to The Late Show
1: YouTube channel for more clips and exclusives.